Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. God sent his son into this world to undo the effects of evil, the fall, and to destroy the works of the devil. And there are some Christians who are absolutely terrified of the forces of darkness. And the only reason you can be is if you do not know the truth. In recent weeks, Dr. Corbett has been exploring the forces of darkness and they are not a crowd you want to get in with. Whether we fully appreciate it or even want to know about it or not, the forces of darkness exist in the spiritual realm and as their title suggests, they are not interested in our good. Tonight is part seven and the final of the darkness series. And as we're going to discover, the forces of darkness do not have the final say. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for the next installment in the darkness series, The Abolition of Darkness. We're gonna have a look at God's word and uh, I think it would be appropriate right now that we pray for that. So Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would speak to us and may your voice be heard and I pray that every person would leave here with an increased confidence that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ has won the victory over the forces of evil and that he has a means and a plan to completely abolish it in the earth. And Father, may that confidence put a, put a skip in our step today, confidence in our prayers and a boldness to be more of a, of a bold witness for Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the opening verse of the Bible, as we look at this, the abolition of darkness, and I've been talking about the, the this is the darkness series. And uh, what most of you may not be aware of is that while I've been out with the kids each Sunday and, and uh, looking, uh, sort of ministering to the, the uh, 10 and 11-year-olds in our kids' church, uh, I've been... Uh, preaching not on a Sunday but preaching in a way that it's gone to radio and it's gone to uh, SoundCloud on on this series and so there's a couple of things that I've covered that I, I just need to uh, recap a bit because I know that most of you wouldn't have heard some of the the gaps that that have happened in this series I, I want you to see how Christ's ultimate triumph over darkness he had and has a plan of redemption a plan to do something in the earth and that, it's, that plan is exactly on track. It's exactly on track and everything is going to plan. So to recap some of the things that I need to let you know is that the opening verse of the Bible, I think, is quite profound. It's a curtain that opens up into a world that I've heard many, many scholars talk about the depth of teaching in Genesis chapter 1. And one of those aspects that I've heard several scholars speak of is, is the spiritual confrontation statements in Genesis chapter 1. Now you might think, well, I thought it was all about creation of the world, creation of animals and creation of nature and all that. This is what scholars, many scholars will unpack now and they'll say, yes, Moses is, is penning this at a time when Israel had just come out of Egypt and they worshipped the moon. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped the stars. They worshipped a river, right? the Nile River. They worshipped nature. And you see in Genesis chapter 1 that Moses declares, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God created that sun. And you know what? Genesis chapter 1 doesn't name it. It doesn't give it a name like uh, 
oresis or something like the Egyptians called it. They, it just, or, or Akor, it's just the sun. God made that. God made the moon. God made the earth. God made the stars. He made the rivers, the waters, all the animals. He made that. He is Lord over these things. These things are not God's. God is God. And then we go into Genesis chapter 2, as we'll, we'll see in a moment, where God created man for a purpose not to be enslaved, not to be oppressed, not to be mistreated, but God made people to bear his image in this world. And so we read in Genesis chapter 1 that we've got in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and now this is another glimpse of the spiritual realm that Genesis 1 immediately gives us and it's this God created the heavens and we could look at that and go oh that's just you know the heavens but in one sense yes it's that but it's also there's another sense to this word heavens there's the heavenly realm the realm where God has created what we would call angelic creatures the hosts of heaven. And that's a key word. And if we get time, I'll, I hope to put a little bit of a nuance on that word so that you can appreciate that from the very beginning, God created the hosts of heaven. So Genesis chapter 2 sums it all up and it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the, what of them? Host of them. The occupants. The occupants. The angelic heavenly beings, the host. So what the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling us is that God has created this world not just of stuff, not just of matter, not just of molecules and atoms and protons and neutrons and neutrinos and all these things, but he has created a world made of stuff that is not on our elementary table. It's the heavenly realm. And someone is, you know, I, I love the insight that C.S. Lewis had in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a profound series of books. And in the last book called the, the, of the series, the seventh in the series, it's called The Last Battle. And there's this amazing scene where the, the, the children there see Narnia being, being destroyed just killing itself and, and destroying itself and Aslan appears and he appears on the other side of a door frame as he does and there he beckons the children to come through the door frame as, as Narnia is, is going up in smoke and, and being utterly destroyed and the children flee the, the, the burning cinders of Narnia as, it's, as, as this sad moment is happening and, he, and they come through the doorway and suddenly the air is fresher. Suddenly it's bright and there's Aslan and says, come. And he starts running and the children will try to catch up and they, they can catch up. They can catch up easily. It's like, and, and Aslan says, come on, let's go a bit faster. And, and he runs faster and, and the children can run faster with ease. And they look around and they go, Aslan, where are we? And he says, you're in Narnia. Oh, what do you mean? We just saw Narnia destroyed. He said, no, no, no. That was a shadow. And the Bible calls this earth, which is why C.S. Lewis did it, the shadow of the reality of the heavenly realm. And we sometimes think of 
angels and God as you know little vapor clouds with these bare bottom babies with harps and bows and arrows and things good grief good grief so you can see this he finished creating the host of heaven these magnificent creatures so before God created this realm of stuff material stuff that we have on our elementary table he had created a heavenly realm as we just saw he then populated it and that sweeping statement he created everything and filled heaven with its host oh goodness me and the creatures in this heavenly realm were created to be loving they were loving they were kind and they constituted God's heavenly family and the I, I tell you I've been looking at this for over a, a year or so and when I began to realize this my goodness me we get glimpses of this in the book of Revelation where it's where John the apostle is caught up in, in, into this realm and he sees the angelic heavenly creatures in this realm and he says oh <laughs> look at them there's so many there's billions upon billions. You know, in Greek, there's no word for billions. So he just has to take the biggest word they've got. Myriads and myriads of creatures and the sounds, the beautiful worship. And it doesn't hurt your eardrums. <laughs> Stephen, where are you? I take, take earplugs. I told you, take earplugs. I took earplugs. Someone came up to me during the music talk and I'm going, what? <laughs> anyway, here's John in this realm. And, and the Apostle Paul, he says he was caught up there. And he said, I heard things. It wouldn't be right for me to even begin to describe heaven is, is full, full of this wonderful sound. You know, there's no verse in Scripture that says the angels sing. They just have sounds that sounds to us like singing. And it's magnificent. It's beautiful. And the stuff that John's standing on is like real. It's realer than this. And that's because it doesn't fade away. It doesn't decay. It's real, real. This stuff in 2,000 years, unless um, we can find another Jeff to you know, keep it maintained, will probably vanish. But in heaven it doesn't vanish. It's real, real. So this is just the shadow land that we're in now. This life is not all there is. And C.S. Lewis said we're created for a world where we have desires. And in this world, we can't satisfy all those desires. And he said, that's how I know. We're not created to be forever in this world, but in the world to come. The world with God and so God created this realm of angelic beings and he called them his heavenly family how do we know that because he refers to the angels as his sons he was the heavenly father he is according to Isaiah the eternal father he's always had a son and he created a family and this family of myriads upon myriads of people and then he he selected some of these in his heavenly family to, to interact with humankind some of them and they were given extraordinary powers powers to take on human form and we know that we read that in scripture several in several places where for example the angel of the lord appeared to people and they recognized firstly it was took them a little bit to figure out is this is this a man is this a what is this 
And so we see Abraham had three angelic creatures come to him. One was the angel of the Lord, which I would suggest was Jesus before he was incarnate. And two other creatures, and he prepared a meal for them, and they ate that meal. These angelic creatures ate that meal, and they could digest it and probably had to do what you do when you digest food somewhere privately. I'm not trying to be crass. I'm saying that God created some of these creatures, and I'm going to suggest to you that these creatures, we get a glimpse of it in the book of Daniel, for example, that he created some of these creatures to ass- and assigned territories of earth to help for him to have them exercise his dominion over the earth. And these creatures were called the watchers, and they're mentioned three times in Daniel chapter 4. So these these creatures were, were interacting with humankind from the outset of the creation of the man, Adam, and the woman, Isha. And they were helping Adam and Isha to learn things. They were teaching them things. This food's good. This, you can do this. You can, look at that fire. Look at that. And so that was the interaction. So when we read in scripture that, that when Adam and, and Isha fell into sin, they, they rebelled that God sent them out of the east gate of Eden and assigned a cherub there. And Adam didn't walk through that gate going, who are you? Like he knew who this, like the angelic interaction with humankind was commonplace. And it was commonplace for quite a way through scripture we read. You remember David saw the angel of the Lord come to kill people because of David's rebellion. So there was this angelic interaction that was happening for quite some time in human history but here's what we surmise in scripture and there are what we call pseudepigraphal uh, jewish rabbinic books there's a lot of words in that but let me explain that give us a lot a lot more detail into what i'm about to say there were certain of these watcher angel creatures that had the ability to take on human form they had the superhuman strength to do things that were extraordinary several of them were given authority to reign over territories on the earth because we read that in deuteronomy chapter 32 8 where god assigned to these sons of god territories that would become nations and so the scripture suggests we read about it And we probably don't realize why these stories are in scripture. But there were three, on three separate occasions, several of these watcher angels, super powerful beings, rebelled against God. And they rebelled against God because they were created partially in the image of God. And God's image is such that people created in his image can think, can plan can dream, can use abstract concepts. Oh boy, what, what is that? Abstract concepts is when you take symbols, you take even language. The fact that I'm speaking to you in a language that most of you can understand now, that they're abstract concepts. If I said the word tree, you think of a tree. But if I pointed at a tree and I said, go and touch that, that's a concrete example of the word tree. But when I say tree, I'm giving you an, a, just a set of words, set of sounds that creates an image in your mind these creatures had that ability and their ability to choose this or this they could make decisions they were empowered to make decisions in fact we read in Daniel chapter 4 where Daniel is told by Gabriel one of the ark angels ruling angels ark means to rule it has been decreed by the watchers that judgment should be executed against Nebuchadnezzar 
to sum it, sum it up, paraphrase it. So these creatures had the ability to make judgment calls, to make decisions. And on three occasions, there was a group of them. In fact, it started with one, then a small group, and then another group, where they rebelled and they abused their authority in their rebellion. Here they are. Here's the three. But here's the, the first of the three watcher rebellions. Firstly, the watcher angel who was identified in scripture as Azazel you read about Azazel in Leviticus chapter 16 where the scapegoat is sent out into the wilderness and it says to Azazel the one who rebelled and so the first of these rebellions by the watcher angels was when one of them rebelled when the Isha was created you see it's puzzled me in Genesis chapter 2 it says God created man and brought him into the garden and said here tend the garden and examine the animals and see if you can find someone who will be a companion for you and at the end it, and if he examined all of those animals of Mesopotamia and we know it was in Mesopotamia because Eden is described as a mountaintop garden where four rivers flowed out of it and unless rivers go uphill um, it had to be on a mountain you hear what I'm saying so Eden was a mountaintop garden and by the way in scripture when God and man often met they often met on mountains or in gardens and when Christ was about to go to the cross he left Jerusalem and went up the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane a garden mountain and garden Eden was a mountaintop garden and then if, if Adam was examining all of the animals of Mesopotamia of which there's I think 9.3 million species of animals in the earth today so there's a lot that's been extinct but if he was to examine just the Mesopotamian ones of, of some five and a half thousand species it would have taken him if he spent half an hour examining each one and he worked six hours a day and he worked six days a week it would have taken him two years to examine all those animals and name them why didn't satan tempt him to sin in that time perfect opportunity wouldn't you think he's alone we get the impression he was lonely he smelt like animal but satan the devil didn't in fact satan the devil doesn't even appear on the scene until god said it's not good for man to be alone we read about that in the affirmation of womanhood just a moment ago and so God took something out of Adam called a rib I'm not exactly sure what it was because there's a lot of symbolic language in this story and he took something out of Adam and created the woman Isha and gave her a capacity that Adam didn't have in fact gave her a capacity to do something that no angelic creature had not even the super powerful watcher angels and one of them was ticked and how do I know that because there's rabbinic literature that tells this story about how this watcher angel Azazel was so jealous so hurt and envious that God would make someone greater than him his pride welled up and he said to himself I will destroy what God has made and that's Genesis 3 1 the serpent was the craftiest of all the animals and he tempted the woman Isha because he wanted to destroy woman can I tell you this Satan hates women even to this day 
Even to this day, Satan hates women. And that's why we affirm womanhood, because I want every man to be a protector, because Adam was created to protect. What Adam should have done in that Garden of Eden, when he went up to Isha, his wife, saw her talking to the one representing the devil, he should have said, leave this bloomin' snake alone, crushed its head and walked out with his wife. That's what he should have done. He should have protected her, but he didn't. Hindsight's great, isn't it? You, you forgive me for sharing that little bit of hindsight with you. Hindsight is my spiritual gift. The second rebellion of Watcher Angels was in Genesis chapter 6. And by the way, that Watcher Azazel, he's the one who's referred to as the devil. Then in Genesis chapter 6, we see the sons of God saw that the women, the daughters of men, were beautiful and took them as wives, which is not what the Hebrew says. It actually says they just took them and sired children with them. And these children were the half-breed of these super-powerful beings who misused their ability to become humanoid and sired the Nephilim, the giants. And we read in Enoch, from the uh, first Enoch, chapter 12 which by the way the book of Enoch is quoted by Jesus in Matthew 24 it's quoted by the writer to the Hebrews it's quite it's quoted in second Peter and it's quoted in Jude verse 9 and Jude tells us he's quoting it and it says there that these watcher angels misused their their human capacity side these Nephilim giants and the Nephilim and the watcher angels had rebelled against God and, and began to kill mankind. And if God had allowed that to go on, all of mankind would have been destroyed. That's why the flood. The result of the flood was that some of these watcher angels, the super powerful ones, were imprisoned. We read about that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And they were confined in a place called Bashan, and particularly the mountain range called Mount Hermon. They were confined there. And they were, here's the word, bound. Which meant that power that they had to become humanoid was taken from them. They couldn't do it anymore. Those ones couldn't do it anymore. And when the flood came, the Nephilim were killed and destroyed. But they weren't human. They were half human. And their disembodied spirits, we read in First Enoch, became the demons. They are demons. Now, if you're going, hang on, oh, Andrew, hang on a minute. The story I was told about Satan and demons, you've just, you've just completely contradicted it because I was told that he was an angel in heaven who was a high angel who then uh, took a third of the angels and led a rebellion against God and was kicked out of heaven. And I would say, and where do you get that from? And you get that from Revelation chapter 12. And if you read Revelation chapter 12, you will see that description follows on from this sequence of events. There was a young woman who was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of stars who gave birth to the one who would rule the nation with a rod of iron. And as she was about to give birth and in labor pains, it says, about verse 4, the great red dragon, comma, the serpent, comma, the devil, stood there ready to devour the child. But war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels came against the dragon and his angels. And the child was born, accomplished the work of redemption, Revelation 12, 
and ascended to his father. Sweeping statement sums up the whole gospel right there. And Michael then cast the dragon out of heaven and the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars and they came to earth. Can you see the sequence of events when that happened? It happened after Christ had ascended. So it does not explain the origin of Satan and demons. Third rebellion of the watcher angels took place in Genesis chapter 11. Babel, Babel, the Tower of Babel. And God, look, if I just skip this, to, just to tell you that these watcher angels were also confined and bound when they tried to launch a rebellion against God, to lead mankind into rebellion against God, which is why it says he scattered them after this event. And those forces that were bound became the principalities and powers, the evil forces, principalities and powers. So Satan, the devil, demons, these spiritual rulers, evil spiritual rulers, comprise the powers of darkness. And this is what Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. Now, you might say, well, isn't that just the earthly kings? No, did you read the first phrase? Not against flesh and blood. These things are not flesh and blood. Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places which are confined to interact now in this realm. And that's why God sent his son into this world to undo the effects of evil, the fall, and to destroy the works of the devil. And there are some Christians who are absolutely terrified of the forces of darkness. And the only reason you can be is if you do not know the truth. If you know the truth, if you know what Christ has done, you cannot be afraid of the devil, demons, or the powers of darkness. You cannot. Because the truth is, you scare them. We read one of the first messages after Pentecost that the Apostle Peter preached to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So when Christ came, he began his work of undoing the damage achieved by the fall he went about undoing the evil that Satan, the evil forces and demons were instigating in the earth. So he came and he showed them who was boss. If we had the time, we would see that after he was baptized, he goes, he goes east into the territory of Bashan, the place where these spirits were confined, according to the rabbinic literature, so it's no accident that after he is baptized, he goes into the wilderness first thing and he confronts the devil. And it says there that the devil tried to get him to sin and the devil made this claim. If you do this, I'll, I, I'm, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus doesn't even reply because that is a stupid statement and a lie. Later on, he refers to this fellow, the devil, as the father of lies. He didn't have control over the kingdoms of this world. This is not his world. This is God's world. 
And so Jesus came to undo all the effects of evil and sin in the world. And the greatest one is that mankind was cut off from relationship with God. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, because when you're separated from God, you're spiritually dead, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Did you know that there is some evil that we see in the world? And you have to go, that did not originate in the human heart. That is an evil beyond the most evil person on their own did not come up with this. The spirit of disobedience, the spirit of rebellion has put that thought into that person. And so we read, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, you have been saved. And look what he's done. You see, we're we're destined to take the place of these heavenly beings that God had called to help him rule this universe. We're destined to take their place. You see, the next verse says, He's raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands now this is the, this is the second aspect of the fall of man you see when mankind fell when when the when the man and isha fell they they rebelled against god but they also brought an enmity between themselves and there is enmity between people and the devil brings hatred between peoples that's why we see people commit sin by by racism that's why we see sin committed by people committing crimes against people but remember this at one time you gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you at one time were separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world you see the biggest racial problem of Paul's day who's writing this was Jew and Gentile and Paul says no no Christ has undone all that damage of the fall Jew and Gentile you're now one you're one family together can I just say to you right now the person on your left or the person on your right is your brother or sister and for some who haven't had a great family life this is great news But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
Wouldn't it be great if we had an All Nations Day one Sunday where we display the flag of every nation represented in this church and I hope we can fill every piece of the boundary here because there would be people from every tribe, nation and tongue. Wouldn't that be a great day? And if we don't see it here in this life, guess what? We're going to see it in heaven. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says we're going to see it. This is what Christ came. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. Now Christ, by his Spirit, has now empowered his people. That's you and I has now empowered his people to overcome the remaining forces of darkness. You see, if I had time, I would explain to you that when Christ died on the cross, his, his death on the cross broke the back of sin. It broke it. You can be set free from sin, which is the stain of evil in every human heart. When Christ rose from the dead, he broke the power of death, the effect of sin and evil in the world. And when Christ ascended, he went, Psalm 68, and those evil forces that were held captive in that area, no longer able to embody themselves, but man, they could do some damage. They could put thoughts into people's minds and those evil spirits who inspired Herod and Pilate and Judas. They were already captive, but he took them. He took those evil spirits captive and placed them into a permanent, a permanent judgment. And that's why it says in Psalm 68, and Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. When he ascended, he took those captives out of this realm and gave gifts to men. That's Pentecost. And the gifts that we have, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of prayer, the gifts of speaking in tongues the gifts of being able to discern spirits are able to overcome whatever forces of evil are left in this world and right about now your excitement juices should be causing your body to go oh man this is awesome and it is behold jesus said to his followers i have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Because you are in Christ. Nothing in the sense of snatching you out of the Father's hand. Nothing the enemy can do. Paul the Apostle put it this way. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I was reading a, a, a book written by a 23-year-old man. Uh, Athanasius he wrote it in 318 AD and he said Christ has given us victory over the powers of darkness they do to us whatever they want to our bodies and they think they've won but they do it because we're no longer afraid of death because the fear of death has no control over us now whether we live or whether we die Christ is Lord Christ is Lord and that is the story of Christ's church advancing from the get-go. 
No longer does it matter what they do to our bodies because Christ is Lord. We destroy, Paul says. Notice where the arguments really take place. Because remember, they can't embody. They can only enter thoughts into your mind. And by the way, they can't read your mind. There's no record of a demon being able to read your mind or an evil force being able to read your mind at all. They can only sow thoughts into your mind. And it's up to you whether you accept it or reject it. Like if you get a thought in your mind, you're no good, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. What are we to say to that force of evil? I would go, you're right. What's the newsflash? You don't know how bad I am, I guess. I'm really rotten. Given, Given two pieces of cheesecake left in the fridge... I was going to say, don't listen to this, please, Kim, but I would eat both. Because I'm evil, left to my own devices. But notice this, Paul says, we destroy, every, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive by Christ. And Jesus Christ came and said, note this, Some of us just think this is a fridge magnet or something, but get what Christ is saying here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. This is what we need to know. The closing book of the Bible describes this, that he will take the devil, he will take the agents of the devil, he will bind them, he will throw them into a bottomless pit, which means you ain't coming out of there. You will be judged and condemned and then he will take them out of there and he will cast them into something called the lake of fire, which means that is eternal judgment on you to do no more evil, no more sin, no more brokenness, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more friction between nations because evil will be abolished. And I love this. We read in Revelation chapter 21 and verse From verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Evil will be abolished. He will, wipe, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Get this, Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are faithful, trustworthy and true. And so I want to just share this, this poem written by a great, a great poet, modern poet. When I see all this battle, when you see, he said, because of all this, I see battle, but you see victory. <laughs> when all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain moved. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, here's our spiritual weaponry, church. I'll fight on my knees. The weapons of our warfare are not 
flesh and blood, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The thoughts that fill our minds. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. With my hands lifted high and every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you and you have all authority. And if you are for me, who can be against me? Yeah, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> for Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are ashes, you see beauty. That, uh, thank you, God. <laughs> when all I see is a cross, you see an empty tomb. Thank you that we can know for sure that the battle belongs to you because you have all authority. Lord Jesus, you have defeated the enemy. You have conquered sin and death. You have risen victorious. You have bound those evil forces that once could do their worst. Now they can't. And now it's the mopping up exercise. Father, you have given us authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. You have given us power to throw out, cast out demonic thoughts. You have given us the weapons of truth. You've given us the weapons of prayer. You've given us the weapons of your word. And Father, nothing, nothing, nothing can stop your plan of redemption. And Lord, I pray that today, especially tonight as we gather as the churches of Launceston, that Father, we would see the kingdom of God advance, not in dirt, but in human souls. And Lord, I pray for everyone watching this now. And perhaps they have never surrendered their life to Christ. Perhaps they feel because of the lie of the enemy that God would never forgive them. God would never accept them. And that is a lie. You are not a million miles away from God. You are not irredeemable. You are just one prayer away. One prayer away. A prayer of surrender. And that begins your battle with God's help. A prayer that says, God, help me. God, come into my life. Please forgive me. I want to live for you. You pray a prayer like that and your life can begin to be transformed. And the truth is, you need help. And God will bring into your life the help you need because he cares about you. And so now, Lord, I pray for us, your church, that we'll walk in that victory. We'll walk in that victory that Christ has won over the forces of darkness and that, Lord, the day is coming when evil and sin will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more regret. All will be made new. And, Lord, we long for that day. But until then, we are mopping up your victory in the earth by winning souls to Christ and seeing your church grow and extended. So, Lord, have your way in us. May we know the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, God sent His Son into the world to undo the effects of evil and destroy the works of the devil. And Christ, by His Spirit, has empowered His people to overcome the remaining forces of darkness. 
More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.